Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about everything real estate for the real estate interested. We're a real estate company of 300 people advising buyers and sellers from first-time condo purchasers to large-scale developers so they can make smart and informed real estate decisions. We made this podcast as a concise and consumable way to share our passion for homes, housing, community, and cities. We hope that this will spark the same curiosity in you that we have for everything real estate. All of the documents and links mentioned in this podcast are available on our website at rennie.com. Today, we're discussing the latest residential real estate data across the Vancouver region for January 2021. We'll focus on these three key insights, the first being inventory remaining a concern for buyers in 2021, the second being an all-time record sales count in January, and finally, we'll explore the economic recovery in BC and Metro Vancouver and how we're faring versus the rest of the country. Joining us today is Rennie advisor Brandon Blue, top 1% of Greater Vancouver Realtors and member of Rennie Presidents Club. And of course, Ryan Berlin, our Senior Economist and Director of Intelligence here at Rennie. So Brandon, longtime listener, first time guest. Uh, how does it all feel to be here in the, the Rennie schoolroom for the first time and all the recording gear on? It's pretty exciting. I've only heard stories about this room and I've actually been afraid to kind of come up to the third floor, uh, especially with COVID and everything. I haven't really explored the office too much. So it, it feels good to get back in here and to be in this room is, is a really cool experience for me. Yeah, well, welcome to the third floor where the Intel team and tech team and the accounting team all dwell. <laughs> See, I think that's why I'm afraid is because you guys are all very smart and, <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know, I, I, I have massive respect for, for what you guys do up here for sure. Well, we appreciate the confidence boost there. And Ryan, you've clocked many hours here on the third floor at Rennie. I have. This is a familiar space for sure. I'm very happy to be back and happy to have you here, Brandon. Thank you. It'll be fun. Well, let's jump into it. So insight number one is inventory remains a concern for buyers in 2021. So inventory in January in the Vancouver region was extremely constrained. We are 12% below January of last year and 25% below the 10-year January average. So again, double-digit decreases in inventory levels. And, you know, the ground-oriented segment of the market has been the most constrained, with the touch down 31% versus last year and townhomes down 21% versus last year. And, you know, specifically for Detached, back in December of 2020, it was their lowest levels of inventory, you know, ever at just over 4,600 detached homes for sale. And in January, it didn't really change much, still just over 4,600 homes for sale, third lowest ever. So it just kind of adds some context to to that extremely constrained supply on the ground oriented side, but specifically for Detached product. And just for some added context here, uh, the detached and townhome inventory in in August of 2020 were both almost double uh, what they were in January 2021. Yeah, so essentially would-be ground-oriented home buyers today or in January had half of the choice that they had back in August, which is quite a dramatic change in conditions, at least on the supply side. And so, yeah, I mean, really, when you boil it back up again, you look at sort of all home types, We've now clocked, I think, 16 consecutive months of year-over-year declines in inventory. Yep. And you know, a lot of that has to do with how relentless demand has been. We'll talk about sales in a moment. But again, looking at different home types, we, Bowen, you talked about ground-oriented. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the condo market, particularly as we've moved through you know, the last, what, 10 months, 11 months, almost a year now. 
through COVID and how impacted the condo market has been by our response to COVID and specifically social distancing. And and we've noted that there's been movement into ground-oriented homes and into the suburbs away from our more densely populated urban areas. What's interesting is that when we look at condo inventory, um, it is up. It's the only home type where supply is actually up compared to a year ago. Condo inventory is up by 18% versus January 2020. What's really interesting, though, is it's actually 2% below the past decade average for January inventory. Um, that's within the condo segment. So, you know, at the margin, I guess you could characterize it as being slightly constrained, but I would sort of, I'd probably look at it and just say condo inventory is about average right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and so, again, that's a function of fairly robust sales activity across all home types. Um, and we'll, we'll chat about that in a moment. So as you said, you know, that, that condo inventory, a um, little more average, whereas more, the, the story is more of that kind of suppressed inventory on the ground-oriented side of things. And uh, Brandon, I'm not too sure what, what you're seeing on the ground, but I know we had spoke about some of your clients who, 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 who really want to kind of stretch themselves and make that transition from, let's say, a townhome to detached product type. Is, is that kind of what you're seeing in January or throughout the kind of back half of 2020? Definitely. I, I, I think a lot of people are concerned with the amount of space that they have around them. And this COVID time has forced them to really look at what their plan is for the next five years. You know, with the low interest rates being historically low and people being able to really try and stretch themselves. I think now is the time. Interestingly enough, we've seen a lot of younger, you know, 30 to 35 year olds that uh, need that help from their parents. And they're actually even going to their parents and getting a lot more help with down payments than I think that's happened previously. And it's, you know, almost like getting that uh, inheritance early and, and being able, you know, for the parents to really kind of you know, see the grandchildren in, in a backyard as opposed to just in a one-bedroom condo. I know for a lot of my clients, it's traditionally where we would have seen, you know, one-bedroom jump to two-bedroom or townhouse and then potentially get an actual detached house. You're finding that people are more comfortable with longer commutes. We're seeing explosions in areas that I never really thought I would do much business in, like Squamish, for example, is, is absolutely on fire right now. Oh. And it's really, um, you know, people are looking for that for that 10-year home where they can invest, they can lock in a great mortgage rate and be a little bit house poor. But I think now after not traveling and not eating out, we're all kind of used to that a little bit. Yeah. And I know you had previously mentioned that um, you've never driven uh, as much to Ridge Meadows in your life as you have throughout this past month. And um, and I guess that kind of speaks to the, uh, the, the experiences you're talking about right there. For sure. You know, and it's like... I really try to go above and beyond for my clients. So, you know, that particular client, we had started looking for houses in Conquillum and then that didn't happen. Then we started pushing out to Langley. We were running into issues there. We were losing multiple offers. Then we started looking at Ridge Meadows. And of course, you know, as we're kind of making those movements, so are a whole group of other buyers because there's, you know, when you're getting 25, 30 offers on properties and people are getting priced out of specific neighborhoods, naturally people tend to go out east. This particular client, you know, there was a house in Ridge Meadows, which was beautiful. Um, You know, it was listed at 1.19. Me and the other realtor had spoken about, you know, we thought it would probably go for about 125. I think it came in assessed at like just over a million bucks. And uh, we submitted our offer. These guys had cash in their pocket. They're good to go. Ideal buyers. We wrote the letter. We did everything. The house had 14 offers and it went for 141 subject free. And it's, it's, it's shocking, you know, and it's, it's, it's tough because 
from my perspective, I really want to manage the emotions of, you know, going through this because it can be really tiring and really taxing on, uh, on people when they, when, when they get rejected like that. And, and of course, in that situation, there's only one buyer who ultimately gets the home. Yeah. So then you're left with, in this case, maybe a couple dozen buyers who are still ready. They're armed financially yep. and they're still looking. And so then they move on to the next, the opportunity, the next opportunity, wherever that is. And it, it almost becomes a little bit more desperate each time because, you know, when you lose on something like that, then you think for the next one that we like, you know, we're really going to give it. And, and I think that's where, you know, you see people going to their parents and saying like, Hey, we need to get in. If we don't, you know, where's this going to stop? And that's where parents start to say, okay, well, you know, I was planning on giving you, you know, X amount you know, for my inheritance, but you know, here, let's, let's, let's give you a bit now. And then that way you can get into what you're looking for and, and, and be settled. And yeah, those experiences on the ground kind of speak to insight number two, where sales hit another all time high in January. So we registered over 4,000 sales in January, up double digits across all home types compared to one year ago and up double digits compared to the 10 year average. And funnily enough, you know, we, we touched on that condo inventory kind of accumulating, but condo sales actually led the way in January 2021 with just over 1,500 sales, detached just behind at around 1,500 sales, and townhomes at just over 800 sales. So, you know, Ryan, uh, demand was kind of spread across all home types. Yeah, and I think it's, it's even spilled over into February when we look at the month-to-date data. We've got about a third of the month in the rearview mirror at this point. And sales are up 131%, you know, in the month to date versus the same period uh, last year. And there's obviously, you know, there are a lot of, it, it is shocking for all of us, even though you know, we're all participants in this market, we're following the numbers, we're working with clients, we're working with buyers and sellers. And so, you know, in some senses, it's not a shock, but, it, but there's a persistence and an inertia to this. You know, some of it, Brandon, you talked about, you know, historically low interest rates, absolutely, they continue to prevail. And, you know, we expect them to essentially through this year, at least. Um, we've also talked about pent up demand in previous episodes of this podcast. You know, we had estimated around 11,000 homes uh, didn't transact at the beginning of 2020 that normally would have under sort of more average or normal conditions. About nine and a half thousand of those homes have been unpent, have, have transacted since then. So there's still actually a lot of buyers who delayed a purchase and are still in the market looking for homes. And I imagine you're seeing a lot of that. Brandon. Definitely. You know, I think another factor can just be the psychological factor of FOMO. And for maybe our older listeners, I just learned this recently, but it's fear of missing out, right? And, you know, I have friends that long before I was a realtor for the last 10, 15 years have been telling me back when I wanted to buy a condo, when I was like 15 years ago for $250,000 on Robson Street, they're like, don't do it. The bubble's going to burst. And, and they've, they've held that line the entire way. And it's those same friends now that are coming to me and like, you know what, I think I really now is the time for me to get in a house. And they've been renters the entire time. And it's, 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 it's fascinating just, you know, if you don't need to get in right now and get in those multiple offers and you're in a comfortable situation, it's worthwhile to take a step back and let everything calm down just from an emotional and a psychological perspective. I had this conversation two days ago with, with a client that really wanted to sell their townhouse, right? And they're, they're, you know, I go and meet with them and we chat. And they're telling me like that the townhouse market is hot right now. We want to sell. We want to make some money. Okay, great. Where are we going to go? Oh, well, we want to move into a house. Okay. So we, we, you know, need that one lily pad, 
to jump from to get onto another one. So what kind of houses are we looking at and how can we make that happen? And I think, you know, as a responsible realtor, it's, it's important to see what their goals are, how we can get them there. And if that's achievable. And unfortunately in this kind of market for a lot of people, it's not, you know, they, they sure could sell their townhouse for higher than they bought it for. They could make a little bit of money, quote unquote, but if they're getting in multiple offers and paying several hundred thousand dollars over asking for a house, or even worse yet, they get priced out of that because they can't qualify that high. Well, all of a sudden they're back at mom and dad's house on the couch and that's, that's a, or renting or, you know, what would be terrible is for them to buy another townhouse. And then they've just wasted a whole bunch of money on fees and time and energy. And, you know, really the only one that's winning at the end of the day is the industry. And, you know, I get paid, but they end up losing money. Right. And that's the last thing that I would ever want a client to do. And, you know, it's just, it's, you have to have that plan in place, but people are so manic right now about, you know, everybody's buying a house. I need to as well. And it just, it becomes that group think mentality. So Bowen, we need to figure out how to measure FOMO. Yeah. 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 Uh, FOMO <laughs> index or dashboard. It's, it's real. Like it's, you know, that intensity Absolutely. and Absolutely. that urgency. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I really have to kind of wind people down a little bit and make sure that, you know, they're like, I know a friend that just bought, I know this, I know this, I know this is going up. This is 300,000 over ask. And that's not necessarily a good thing, depending on your situation. If you have to move, then great. But you know, it, maybe it's a time to wait. Maybe it's time to take a breath. Maybe it's a time to, you know, kind of let things settle, let more inventory come up, even have more selection of something that you're looking for. Whereas right now, like as soon as, I don't know, I, I have stories for days, but there's, there's another house that we just listed that ticked a lot of boxes for a lot of people. And it's, it's so fascinating to be able to see the you know, not only to represent buyers and, you know, knowing what we bring, but also seeing what all the other offers are like in these types of circumstances in this market. So we, we had one house end of a cul-de-sac. It has a basement suite, um, you know, well-maintained, uh, well-loved. These people have been there for 12 years. So we list this place. I started with two days of showings about five hours each day, like immediately filled up. So then I had to expand it to three days of showings, a pretty much a whole 11 or 12 hour day each day. Um, wow. with the pandemic, we have to do showings every 15 minutes. So we have to make sure that there's enough space in the house. And I obviously want to, my wife's a physician. I want to be responsible as far as, you know, being safe about everything, but that, that led to really long days. We had 84 showings. Um, we had 21 offers in the end and out of those 21 offers, it's fascinating to see the five or six that are really in contention, subject free, you know, bank drafts, like good prices. But then you also see the other ones, which are maybe a little unrealistic, 50,000 under ask with two weeks of subjects, you know, like those kinds of things. I feel bad for the people that are submitting those offers because, you know, it's just, it's just, a, I, I feel like it's, you know, it's just a letdown in, in this kind of market. So when it, when it came to that place, that is a typical, uh, offer presentation, we call it. So, you know, we'll have the showings on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'll have the presentation of offers at five o'clock, let's say on Monday. It's amazing how many people were coming through the house and the top three offers were exceptionally close to each other. So much so that we're actually asking the realtors for information about their clients, just to see if that sways the decision as to what family is going to take this place over and love it. Just because, you know, it's, it, it was so tight being that high over ask, you know, unfortunately people lost it for almost nothing, you know? It's interesting to get letters and find out more about your buyers and coming back to the psychological aspect that also really applies for sellers because 
you know, I've, I've won places where we've, you know, recorded a video or included a letter with a photo. And I've heard that the seller actually took us over somebody else because, um, you know, they got $10,000 less, but they wanted a family to come in and live there and raise their family. And it reminded them of themselves when they had bought the house. And Brandon, on the emotional side of things, is that, do you see that kind of play out more so when you have such a competitive market, right? Because they have so many offers on the table. So it's easier for the seller to let that emotional side of things play into it. Or is that something you kind of see consistently? It depends on who the seller is. um, And it depends what their goals are. I think if you know, in that downsizer scenario, I think it's a lot more emotional. Um, typically, when people are upsizing, they're worried about what they're going to be able to afford. Therefore, they're a bit more money driven because, you know, they their whole plan here is to get something bigger and better. And they want to make sure that, you know, they can afford it themselves. So it's clear that emotions and, and you know FOMO all play a role in our in our housing market, but but so do other fundamentals such as our economic recovery so far, and uh, that brings us to insight number three, which is the economic recovery in British Columbia and Metro Vancouver is outpacing much of the rest of the country. So I know we kind of touched on this in the sales meeting the other day, Ryan. Uh, if you want to jump in and kind of uh, give our listeners a little bit more information on this. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were now sort of 11 months into this, you know, our response to COVID, the so-called Great Suppression, and we absorbed some pretty significant uh, job losses in the first few months. Metro Vancouver, uh, at the worst, in uh, May of last year, we were down 275,000 jobs versus our pre-pandemic level. But, you know, things have slowly improved. We, we've been developing a more nuanced response to COVID and slowly opening business and figuring out how people can eat in restaurants, how people can shop in stores and how we can, to a certain degree, safely sort of reanimate um, the economy. And so we we went from a deficit of 275,000 jobs to, in the most recent month, so January, a deficit of 46,000 jobs. We only added about 9,000 jobs between December and January. So not a significant number, but we're now 3% below, employment is 3% below uh, the pre-pandemic level. So certainly not where we would have wanted to be back in February of last year before COVID sort of landed on our shores. But there's some there's continued reason for optimism, uh, not to sugarcoat anything, but you know if we look at Metro Vancouver's economic performance relative to other metro areas in Canada like Montreal and Toronto, we are closer to our pre-pandemic level of employment. We still expect the, the jobs in this region to grow by about 3 or 4% through this year. In other words, by the end of this year, we'll be back to where we were before the pandemic hit. And, you know, our, our unemployment rate um, is now, it sits at 9%. It's up from 7% in December. So you kind of look at that and go, what? why is this going up? It seems like we're moving backwards here. But really... The unemployment rate went up despite us adding jobs because people who previously were not looking for work have thrown their hat in the ring and are now starting to scope out the job market and see what's available. Um, And so that has like mathematically Mm. that has the effect of increasing the unemployment rate. But what it really means is that the supply side, the, the labor supply in this region is being reanimated along with the economy. And so that is a good thing, it is something we want to see. And now what we need to do is sort of watch over the coming few months to see if those new active job seekers actually find work. To the extent they do, we'll see employment continue to grow or grow back to 
where it was in February of last year. And we'll see that unemployment rate continue to decline. I mean, it, it was at a peak of 14.5% in June of last year. So we had cut that more than in half by December. And again, it's come up a little bit, but we've made some some significant progress. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, when you consider a growing job space with continued low interest rates and you look at things like, um, I mean, immigration was half of what it was the previous year. And we expect that to come back fairly strongly, particularly at the end of the year. So, you know, I do think for better or for worse, we are going to see continued demand for housing. I think some of those scenarios that Brandon, you were describing of home buyers, you know, cobbling together whatever resources are available to them and making their very, very best offer only to lose out. I, unless we see an increase in supply, we're going to continue to see that, which then again speaks to what you were talking about, which is sort of for, for some buyers, it's going to be a time to, to take, take a deep breath, step back and sort of evaluate, evaluate your needs. I think everybody is trying to get that larger space as well, but you guys have touched on how the condo market's soft right now in that like i i know from where i'm at you know two bedroom condos can be a difficult thing to sell in in this market anything close to a million dollars i think people are thinking well i want that house i can i can get that that's what i'm setting my sights on but you know i live in a two-bedroom condo i i love you know i will want a house eventually absolutely like everybody else but you know i love the you know, fact that in Vancouver, I can walk to the grocery store, I can get on the seawall, you know, once hockey games start up again, once I can, you know, stumble back from a bar, like all of these things are very appealing. And it's almost like we've forgotten about that aspect of our lives. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what people do, whether they decide to stay in their condos downtown and forget about Langley, or even people come back and rather than looking at that, you know, that house and really stretching themselves, you know, just take a level jump, get a two bedroom. That's good for another five years. Enjoy your time on the seawall. I have twins at home. We stroll the seawall all the time. It's one of our favorite activities. And I think downtown has still has a lot of potential, but it, it, a lot of it just really does rest on COVID. And once life goes back to normal, I'm like everybody, super excited for it. So Brandon, when we had spoken, uh, you had touched on on your clients kind of having a wide variety of jobs, but they they all have kind of switched to this more um, investor mindset. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit more. I mean, it's it's looking at like just even the whole Robin Hood, you know, stock market investing. I mean, I think it was a perfect storm for like I've been a long time investor, but it's it's fascinating. I mean you know, you had a whole bunch of people. I have friends that were playing, uh, you know, in, in their hockey pools and like their football pools. And if they won that, they would get 500 bucks and they were tracking stats and they were looking at things and they were obsessive about it. Well, when there was no sports and people were at home and had nothing else to do, but the stock market's still going and it's, and there presents a good buying opportunity with a huge crash that happened. I think you'd have to check the stats on this, but I think Robinhood signed up like 700,000 accounts. That's the US, you know, low barrier trading app. There's a tremendous amount of people. I know I know a lot of my friends use uh, Wealthsimple, um, Quest Trade, and, you know, they're just learning it for the first time. And they're coming to me and asking me questions on, you know, how do I get into this? What's an ETF? You know, how do I invest and how do I take advantage of, you know, this situation? And people have the time now where there's no distraction, where they can actually sit down and learn about this. And I think that makes a lot of us more financially responsible, as long as you kind of stay out of the, you know, penny stocks or the GameStops or, you know, whatever's topical right now. But 
um, you know, there's, there's a lot of fundamental investing that, you know, can be learned. And those are lessons that people can carry with them for, for the rest of their lives. And potentially kind of translate to the, to the real estate market, those, those lessons and those, and that kind of, uh, forward looking approach to fundamentals. Absolutely. And, you know, it's fascinating to be able to, you know, learn what it's like to invest and make money. And, you know, those that did invest, you know, after the crash, uh, I mean, we've seen great gains in the stock market. So to be able to now take out that equity and apply that towards a place, um, I think is a really exciting thing for a lot of people as well. There's an immense amount of my clients now that before when I would meet with buyers, I would tell them, okay, you have to go to the app store, you have to download the realtor.ca app or another app and go check it out. And they're like, you know, I would have to basically take them through the process, show them which one it was and explain to them how to use it before. After COVID, everybody knows. Everybody's got that app. Everybody religiously looks. People that aren't even looking to buy, I know will talk to me about it because they'll screenshot places. What do you think of this? It's a quarter-ordered sale. How do you feel about this? And they're not in the market whatsoever. But it's it's almost like that, you know, it's been a long time since I was on Tinder, but it's almost like that Tinder for real estate where you can just, you know, it's just kind of curious and you're just going and you're swiping and you just, you're just, you know, it's fun. It's fun for people to look at what's out there. But it also fundamentally changes your role as a realtor. Of course, here at Rennie, we call realtors advisors, but really people are availing themselves of the basic information they need to sort of focus their search Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, right? I mean, you could speak to this better than me, but then I would imagine your role then is more to, is more on the, the personal level to help, help sort of contain some of the emotions Mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, whatever offer somebody's making or asking price, somebody is seeking is sort of in line with the broader market and to help people through that buying and selling process. So I, I first got into real estate when I was 19. I was one of the youngest realtors in, in Montreal when I first got my license. No idea what I was doing. But I remember when I was in my class and, you know, the old kind of, we call him a dinosaur realtor then, uh, was teaching us a class. He taught us the technique of you pick up your clients in your car, you take them to three homes. First one is okay. Second one is the one you want them to buy. The third one is uh, a worse quality home and way overpriced. And then they'll buy the second home. And that's, that was his trade secret. That's what he told us to do. That was kind of the old school mentality, right? And it's, you know, things have really evolved. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, I'm really here to help people. I really want to help my clients. I want to find them the best home, not just show them three places. So I hugely encourage people to go on and, and look at thousands of homes and people do, they'll look at hundreds of homes and they'll, they'll really narrow it down and, you know, whittle down from a hundred to, you know, 20 to 10, do drive-bys of those 10, you know, get it down to five and then we'll go see five. And it's really a collaborative effort between the two of us. And, you know, they have a lot of the same information that realtors have, but it's, you know, where they need the help is with advice, with contracts, with their emotions, with, you know, maybe strategy on how to do things. But yeah, the, the information's out there and people people love it. They, they, they consume it as much as possible. Okay, so Brandon, given everything we've discussed, uh, you know, if, if one of our listeners needs to buy right now, how do they get that competitive advantage? You know, how do they get a step ahead? Um, step one would be hire an advisor that you have a good relationship with. And it's, it's amazing how many times, and I know this after working with clients, but it's amazing how I will literally talk to my clients all the time. When, when we're coming close to offer time, whether we're buying or selling, you know, you'll, you'll talk to me 10 times a day. And it's part of the reason why it, 
you know, I form good friendships with my clients is because, you know, you're, you're guiding them and you're helping them. You're there. Um, so hire somebody that you like, because be prepared. You're going to talk to them for, you know, for, for long periods of time. Uh, but two, you know, if you're there, you know, if you've decided that this is the house, you know, if you're getting to that point and you need to buy, you have to, you know, and your, your advisor will tell you this, but you have to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row so that you're in the best position to succeed. That example that I used previously where the guy was coming in 50,000 under ask with a whole bunch of subjects. I mean, you have to think about the future and what's going to make you stand out. So whether, you know, the simple things are the letters and everybody that, you know, a lot of people do, but get the pre-inspections, have an inspector on standby. If you know that you're going to be looking at this place Friday and they're taking offers on Monday and you're looking at this when the listing came out on Tuesday, you have that couple of days to make sure that you put a deposit down on an inspector to be able to come block off that time. Talk to your mortgage brokers. How much can we afford? How much, you know, what's our range here? If this does go to multiple offers, how much further can we stretch ourselves if we need to? So you know where that line in the sand is. There's always that line and, and you know, there's no worse feeling than losing a place for a couple thousand dollars when, you know, you've, you've come all this way, you've spent $600 on an inspector, you've, you, you know, you've invested emotionally and seen your life there. And, it, it, you know, negotiation and strategy changes throughout the market. Um, you know, if, you know, you're not facing multiple offers like we are today, then obviously your approach will be completely different. But in, in this market, you just, you really have to be smart. You have to be forward thinking and you have to make sure that, you know, you're making yourself as appealing. If you put yourself in the, in the seller's shoes, do you have a bank draft? Something as simple as that can be the deciding factor. You know, is it a pain to go to the bank, get the draft out, include it in the offer and send it? Yeah, it is. Because if you don't get the place, then you have to go back to the bank and you have to return it. But those little things, when you're looking at the seller's perspective, while these two offers are extremely similar, this one has a bank draft, this one doesn't, I'm going to go with one of the bank draft, right? It's, it's a done deal. That's there. The money's, the money's there. Finally, regular fries or sweet potato fries? Definitely sweet potato. And don't trust anybody that doesn't. Oh, I have to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and you need, you need the like good sauces, not just ketchup. It's got to be a, it's got to be a <laughs> wide variety. Oh. Well, all right. That wraps up this episode of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out our latest running review and other intelligence information on rennie.com slash intelligence. To be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox, register for intelligence updates. Brandon, thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, huge fan of the podcast and I'm humbled and honored that you guys asked me to be here. So thank you. Awesome. So how can uh, our listeners uh, contact you, Brandon? Best way to get in touch with me. Uh, my phone number is all over the place. Um, you can just Google me. Probably more fun would be Instagram. Uh, it's just Brandon Blue Real Estate. You'll see everything from me posting photos of my kids to me getting attacked by cats um, and just real estate stuff in general. I'll probably do a story or something on this. So, Awesome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production. It's recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Thanks for listening. Thank you.